Welcome to the Rosie on the House Arizona Hour. Driven by Sanderson Ford. Your weekend wake-up tradition. It's Rosie on the House. And a beautiful Arizona Saturday morning to you all. Welcome to Rosie on the House. This is our 7 o'clock hour, our Arizona hour, where we feature interesting Arizona people, places, and things. If you could take your mind back 152 years ago, put you right in the middle of confrontation with Apaches in southern Arizona, which led to the 1867 U.S. Army development decision to build Fort Crittenden, named after its first commander, General Crittenden. The camp itself was located adjacent to Fort Buchanan and would serve as a refuge during the Apache raids up to 1873 when the fort shut down because malaria from all the mosquitoes. Must have been a wet monsoon. Just part of the rich Arizona history in southern Arizona, our featured staycation destination of Patagonia, Arizona. Beautiful uh, setting between uh, the Santa Cruz and the Cochise Mountains. It's one of our favorite parts of of the entire state. And we've got a great uh, interview lined up today. Rosie and Jennifer have brought in a special guest from Liberty Wildlife Refugee to talk about their service and their role in Arizona's wildlife. Good morning. Rosie and I just finished a wonderful, wonderful tour of Liberty Wildlife. And if you haven't heard of Liberty Wildlife or you haven't been to Liberty Wildlife, you need to listen in and find out what you're missing. This morning, we are here with Laura Hackett, Director of Education. Education Facilitator. And Liberty Wildlife has been around for how long, Laura? We've actually been in the Valley since 1981. 1981. Hmm, You know what? I think a long time ago, Liberty Wildlife started in a, in a home, in a neighborhood, and it was very close to our house. And at the time, we, our kids were young, and I was a Cub Scout mom, and I invited them to come to the house. And they brought an eagle and a snake and a couple of things. The kids just thought it was amazing. So are you still doing that type of thing? We definitely are. So our mission is to be a hospital for the native wildlife that need it. But we also do have some animals that are non-releasable, and we use those for educational purposes. So we go to schools and community events, and now that we have this larger facility, um, people can actually come to us as compared to when it was a small facility, and we really couldn't have any visitors. So you really couldn't. I remember it was just a house kind of foreboding with all overgrown, and if you had a critter, you just walked up and put it in the window, and you didn't get to see what happened afterwards, but that's not the case anymore. So can you just kind of tell us the journey of Liberty Wildlife, whose vision it was, how we ended up from a little house in the mid-Scottsdale to this fabulous facility? Yeah, we had an amazing founder. Um, she just retired uh, and after many, many years of good work, so she's uh, deserved that retirement. Uh, but her name is Dr. Kathy Orr, and she's a local veterinarian and was working with the Humane Society at the time, eventually worked with the Phoenix Zoo. Um, and people knew her as a, a veterinarian for all these other animals, but they would find wildlife and say, this wildlife needs help, this injured skunk or this sick bird. And they didn't have anywhere else to take it in 1981. And so she opened up her own backyard near Scottsdale and Shea. She had about an acre and a quarter of land. She was raising llamas, so she had some space there. Um, And she built Liberty Wildlife that year, 1981, and had about uh, 80 animals come into her that year with the hopes of rehabilitating them and releasing them to the wild. Uh, What happened over the next 35 plus years was more and more people heard about us, uh, started bringing more animals to us. We got more volunteers and uh, more people moved into the valley and so there was less space for some of these animals. Um, 
So by the end of 2016, even way before that, actually, we had fully outgrown that small location. And so we did open the doors to this new facility in 2016. And now we have just about six acres here. And so we have our hospital, but now we also have the ability to have an education wing and have people come visit us. And so you have a whole vision of sustainability. And the, the building itself is beautiful, covered in barn wood and lots of concrete, you know, kind of nestled right into the desert, right beside the Rio Salado uh, River. Do we call it a river? Yeah, it's a river. Okay. And, then, and that itself is full of, of critters. And so right here next to that, though, you, where's all, where everything happens, um, talk us through what it's like when someone brings an animal to you. It needs to be a native animal, correct? Yes, we take in all sick, injured, and orphaned native wildlife. So anything that you're going to find in your backyard, pretty much, if it needs treatment or care, we'll take it in. We have um, staff here, volunteers here, 365 days a year. And so it we work similar to a human hospital where something happens to a human out in the in the play yard and an ambulance comes and picks them up or you know, somebody gets brought to the hospital same thing with us we have uh, hotline volunteers that you can call and ask for help of what to do if you find wildlife and they'll tell you either bring it in to us or we'll send a rescue transport volunteer out there so that animal comes to us and we've got a triage room, much like a human hospital. Uh, things are stabilized there. Uh, we have volunteers, again, that are doing that work for us. They've gone through some extra special training on site where they learn how to stabilize the patient and come up with a game plan for how we're going to treat it. And then we've got an ICU room where the animals are taken care of until they then get to move to a pre-release enclosure where they can then build their muscles up. Um, because if you think about it, if a human gets hurt and is in the hospital and in a cast for a couple weeks, you don't just say they're healed and let them run a marathon. Um, you have to give them a chance to regain that muscle. And so that's what our pre-release enclosures are. And then the part that's been happening lately is the rewarding part. Our volunteers are getting to release these animals into the wild right now. Rosie and I got to stand in a, a big run. What do you call it? Just a big flight enclosure, yeah. a flight enclosure. Flight enclosure. And... Um, Laura scared up the, the owls. There must have been a dozen of them in there from one end to the other. So she had Rosie and I stand in the middle, and they just came whispering by us. So we'll, we'll put that up on Facebook this morning. It was really a really special moment. Do you have a lot of problem with people bringing in things they shouldn't? How does, how does someone know? They should probably call you first, right? Yeah, our hotline volunteers are amazing because during the busy season, which is baby season, um, they are fielding calls nonstop and they've got um, two hour shifts where they're answering phone lines and calling people back to help people know what to bring in and what not bring in. Um, a lot of times uh, it's babies that are just alone right now because the parent has been scared off or the parent is going to get food. So baby bunnies a lot of times get bunny napped. Um, I know uh, some of the other facilities that work with larger animals say the same thing about deer baby deer are left alone by their families um, so if you see something even a bird that's fallen out of its nest if it's not injured a lot of times we will tell people to put the bird back in its nest and observe to make sure that the mother comes back um, there's an old wives tale that if you've touched a baby bird uh, the mother won't come back because it'll have smelled smelled humans on it um, and that's just what i said an old wives tale i taught my kids that oops <laughs> well now you, now you can all learn something right teach my grandkids something now right <laughs> I think people would be surprised to know how many critters come through here and how many volunteers it takes to take care of them. Yeah, we started, you know, over 35 years ago with just over 80 animals, and we've continued to grow 
Um, and every year we hit a new record thinking we can never get more. And so 2018, we took in 9,454 animals. And so at the end of 2019, we are approaching that number already. So we're probably going to go over it again. Um, but we do live off of the fabulous volunteers that help us. There's only six of us that are paid full time to be here running the organization every day. But otherwise, we have about 250 to 300 volunteers that are helping with every aspect of our job. How do you guys get your funding? We are solely nonprofit, so all of the money that we receive comes from the general public, um, grants potentially, um, but it's really the local people who are donating to us. And it's amazing to see people find wildlife in their backyard, drive miles and miles out of their way to bring it to our window. And then we do, we generally ask, you know, can you help out monetarily? Um, it's amazing to see how many people will pull out whatever they have in their pocket or take a credit card out and help that animal. Well, you do make it very easy to drop off. It's just a little bit of a drive south of the Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport. Drive down a little road, pull up into this really nice parking lot, and there's a little special parking where you can just get out and, and deliver your little critter. And today, Rosie, we saw baby turtles. Those are the smallest desert tortoises I've ever seen. What are they, like two inches? Yeah. We saw, um, I said it different. You said it, what is it, Kodamundi? Kodamundi. No. Saw a Cody. There you go. Yeah. Save me. Let's talk about some of the, the different types of species you've taken in and maybe some of the most interesting. Babies that we start getting in the year are generally the hummingbird babies. And so they're super tiny. They usually by the end of January, we're starting to get them in. Um, and it's really cute to watch them, how tiny they are. And they're learning how to fly and they go to the little nectar feeders that we have. Um, and uh, then we see throughout the baby season more and more um, species rotate through. So you'll get the owls and the hawks um, and eventually herons. Um, we'll get doves all year long. Uh, so most of the time we're talking birds here, but we do take everything in, anything that is found in your backyard. So the very first animal that we took in here at our new location in 2016 was a baby bobcat. And it was about six weeks old, already very wild and knew it didn't like people. Um, had been uh, left behind by its mom or, or taken from its mom, we're not sure. Uh, we were not quite equipped at that point to take in a bobcat, but luckily we have a great relationship. We were talking about partnerships earlier with Southwest Wildlife, and they have some adult bobcats, and they act as foster parents to these orphans that come in. So we brought that. Um, we'll also get some unusual ones. We have get a couple that are coastal birds that get blown off by the monsoons. So we get pelicans every year. No pelicans. way. I have never seen a pelican here. We, um, the brown ones get blown off course. We do actually have some white pelicans that live in various pockets around the valley throughout the year. Um, but we've worked with uh, SeaWorld Rescue to get them back home and back released out into the wild. We've had people bring deer into us. We can't take anything more than 300 pounds. Um, so no bears yet. Uh, but we've had a couple of rattlesnakes that have come in and other kinds of snakes. Um, and we can take most of them. Sometimes, though, we will work with Phoenix Herpetological Society, too, to uh, give some of the more dangerous ones over to them. What's your favorite one? Do you have a favorite? Can you say it? <laughs> We're not supposed to have favorites. Oh. Um, I do have a favorite, probably from, from each grouping. So in the reptile section, um, there's a gopher snake that we have that's in our education team now. And he came to me when I was still a volunteer on my medical shift. And he was tiny, and his entire body was stuck to a glue trap. Um, so I was the one that got to help uh, get him off of there, and um, he had a lot of sores on his body from that. Um, and eventually, we decided we couldn't release him back out into the wild, and we named him Elmer after the glue trap. 
Okay. Well, we're going to come back and talk some more with Laura Hackett. Facilitator. Facilitator. Education facilitator at Liberty Wildlife. And uh, we got some more to tell you. Cruise it through the Arizona Hour with Sanderson Ford and Rosie on the house. To start off our second segment here, this is where we give away our Arizona State Parks passes. True or false trivia. Text TRUE to 411-923 or FALSE to 411-923, whichever you think the correct answer is. We talked about the trifecta economic blow that Patagonia and Southern Arizona took during the 1920s. You had the Great Depression, the monsoons that washed out the bridges. You had the Patagonia-Mexico Railway cease operations, and it wasn't until the rebuilding of the mining industry by Phelps Dodge to supply raw materials to allied soldiers for World War II that led to the economic rebound of southern Arizona. If that's true, text true. If that's false, text false, and we'll pick a random right winner. The end of this programming segment, good for any of Arizona State Park's 33 active state parks, including Patagonia Lake. We featured a lot because it's right there in the backyard of our featured staycation destination this month and a beautiful best-kept secret. Shh, so don't tell anybody. So we're at Liberty Wildlife this week. Rosie and I came down to take a little tour and really want everybody to come down and enjoy this. Um, We're here with Laura Hackett, education facilitator, and she's going to just kind of fill us in on on when you should come and what you can expect to see. Yeah, we're open to the public uh, Wednesdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, except for this weekend. We do have our annual fundraiser. But in the future, we'd love to have guests come visit. Uh, Right now, we're from 10 o'clock until 1 o'clock. Um, and uh, in the summer our hours change because it does get too hot. Um, As soon as you come in, you'll be amazed by how beautiful it is, even though when you drive up you may think that you're lost um, because uh, we're in a a unique little area by 24th Street and Broadway. But once you enter, you'll have uh, volunteers approach you and they have birds of prey on their gloves. We have windows into our hospitals so you can actually see our team working on some of the animals in there. We have an interactive room where we have some hands-on activities as well as our non-releasable reptiles. Um, We'll have volunteers in there that can take them out so you can pet a snake or a lizard, um, just learn a little bit more about them. And then each of those public hour days uh, at 1045, we have a program in our amphitheater where first you'll meet Cheese and Quackers, who are Indian runner ducks. And they come up and uh, we'll play a game against you to see who's a better mealworm eater. Um, And then that's followed up by a live bald eagle presentation where you'll be pretty much face-to-face with the bald eagle, um, learn about him or her, and uh, watch him enjoy his breakfast. (laughs) That's great. So that's open to the public and during those hours. You also have busloads of kids come in here. And what, what do you hope to instill in them and what do they get to see? We do. We have a range of all kinds of schools coming in, homeschools to traditional schools, big classes to little classes, all ages. And what's great about our location and what I love to make them stop and look at that if you look further north from us you see Sky Harbor and you see I-10 but right in between both of those and our location is the Rio Salado. There's not always a river flowing through but we do always have water down there so we've got a lot of wildlife that lives right in the heart of our city right outside of our perimeter here. Um, We've got coyotes and beavers and muskrats and all kinds of uh, water birds and um, birds of prey. Have the kids just take a moment to stop and realize that this is their backyard and this is their environment and their habitat too and they've got to learn how to work together 
with nature so that we can all survive together and take care of each other. Well, if you have kids in school, you ought to tell the teachers you'd like to put this on your list for the field trips for coming up next year. You probably stayed at Booked Out a year. We, we usually tell people at least three months in advance. And then there's one special room we went by, called, and it's the Non-Eagle Feather Repository. It's a beautiful room and something also that you'll get to take a look at when you come to visit. All of the birds that you see, raptors and songbirds, are protected by the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. And that means that you cannot own any piece of them. You can't have their feathers. They're federally protected. But that put a real strain on the Native Americans who use these native birds for their religious ceremonies and their cultural traditions. And so the Non-Eagle Feather Repository is the only one in the United States that legally collects all these pieces, the feathers, um, sometimes even whole carcasses, uh, wings, and we'll hold on to them and catalog them. And then as long as you are a member of one of the federally recognized tribes, you can submit an application to us, no charge, questing any feather or body part or anything that you need for your regalia. And again, no charge, we will send it to you and ship it out um, all over the United States. You have birds that have non-releasable and they actually parent the other birds that come in. Just tell us a little bit about that. Obviously, we want to get every animal back out into the wild, but there are some that are damaged too much that they wouldn't survive on their own out there. And so we make that determination of whether they should be a display bird at another facility, if they can come onto our education permit here and learn to be on our gloves and come out to schools and events. Um, But there are some animals that never want to see a human again. They just have that wild instinct and they don't like us and we don't want to force them to do a program so they can become foster parents. And they live here um, with a a pair and um, they will raise orphan babies. So as the baby great horned owls or the baby red-tailed hawks come in, we don't want to raise them as, as humans. We don't want them to imprint on us and think that we are their food source. LibertyWildlife.org. If we have perked your interest, you need to look them up online. You need to get down here and see the facility. And Laura, what's the last word you'd like to share? We're here to really fulfill our mission, which is to nurture the nature of Arizona through conservation education. And so by having people come here and visit us, Uh, we're hopefully going to touch their hearts so that when they go home, they'll spread our mission and we can all be working together to ensure that the animals are taken care of. They were here first, we moved into their um, turf, and we can survive together and sustain each other. And the answer to your true or false question, it's false! Everything about that was right, except it wasn't Phelps Dodge, it was our Sarko. If you answered false, watch your phone, you may be the right winner. Oh, man, that sounds good, Gary. Just let that keep rolling. Clint Black. Mm-hmm. My opinion, one of the most under, uh, what do you say? Underrated. Underrated, yes. But huge when he came out in the late 80s, early 90s, along with the uh, these other two guys. Maybe you heard of them. Alan uh, Jason? No, Jackson. <laughs> and Garth uh, Rivers or something. Chris Cagle or Chris something. Chris Cagle, yeah, Garth Brooks. <laughs> you know, I am not a fan of cover songs. And when I, he came out with Desperado covering the Eagles, I was like, oh, man. But I will say of all cover songs, Clint's black version, I like better than the Eagles version, just because he's got so much more of that country twang than the Eagles have. And the Eagles did it great. 
he's just got that country twang that, that ties in the theme of that song a little better to the, the lyrics. Yes, it is. And it was designed for that, too. But you will have some people to argue. Yes, I know. <laughs> Linda Ronstadt made that song her own. And there's a I don't great, think I've heard that version. Oh, yeah, you have to. Uh, and there's a great story. Don Henley says that when they recorded the song, it didn't go anywhere. But Linda Ronstadt took it, recorded it, and all of a sudden people were like, wow, where'd that song come from? Then take Clint Black. He gives it a little country twang, and I agree with you. Uh, he can he can sing he can sing rings around it. So the mansion section of the Wall Street Journal does human interest stories from time to time. Mm-hmm. They may do them every week. It's just very rarely that I, I see somebody of interest to me. I don't I don't know. But uh, David Spade was featured a few weeks ago. Interesting story in there about him growing up in Casa Grande <laughs> and Scottsdale. It's a funny guy. <laughs> um, but they pulled there was they featured Clint Black recently. And do you know it was Desperado that got him his start? Here here's the story. Okay. My parents entered me in a singing contest without my knowledge and I was angry. I didn't want to win. I didn't want <laughs> success. I wanted to earn it. But I went anyway. I sang Desperado. When I finished first place and got $500, the anger wore off. <laughs> I then met a record producer who was one of the judges. He helped me find a manager. And, and then in 1987, I met with two big record companies in Nashville. One turned me down. The other didn't. It was RCA that <laughs> gave him a deal. If anyway. He, when he comes to town, see him. I, I, every time I hear his music, I just think, man, this guy was so underrated. Mm-hmm. Well, back in uh, 1853, we're going to go back down to southern Arizona, the featured destination of our staycation. You can find the remnants of what's known as the Stronghold. A gentleman by the main name of Pete Kitchen, who was a military man for the Rio Grande, built it, and it was known as one of the only. Uh, it was known as the only stronghold from Apaches for at least a hundred miles, all the way from Tucson. To Magdalia, Sonora, this was the place, and it was uh, partly in the masonry products that he used to build it, but he was also an expert longshot marksman. You can still go down to uh, see the stronghold today. It's roughly four miles north of Nogales. Wow. And when was that built, uh, does it say? 18... There's a couple dates here, so let me get back to the well, exact date. My of point the, is, 1853. They don't build them like that. They anymore. don't build them like they used to. <laughs> <laughs> Had a fun interview in the first part of the half hour with the Arizona Wildlife Refuge. Speaking of wildlife, do you know it's Bat Week right now? It runs Not through that Halloween, <laughs> the October 31st, featuring and and this is a national event. But here in Arizona, we have 28. Species of bats, according to a publication Game and Fish put up this week. You know the Mexican free-tailed bat can fly upwards of 100 miles an hour? Wow. The smallest bat weighs between 3 and 6 grams and has a wingspan of 9 inches. <laughs> Isn't there a place in Arizona where you can watch them fly out at night uh, during certain times of the couple year? A couple places. I know Karsher Caverns, I, I right. believe, is one of them, and I mm-hmm. think up in Camp Verde, there's another one. There's multiple places. You can go to AZ Wildlife Hero to learn more about it and support Bat Week. Bat Week. Learn what you can plant at your home to uh, help attract bats. Now, that's a a wildlife animal we can attract. (laughs) Javelinas, not so much. You see the woman in Tucson that got bit taking her trash out. Oops. (laughs) Well, they say the javelina probably wouldn't have been there if she hadn't been feeding them. 
And this press release published by KTAR reminds people that authorities remind residents feeding wildlife is illegal in Pima, Pinal, and Maricopa counties. Didn't have any details about what the punishment was, but, you know, leave, let wildlife be wildlife, and, and there's got to be a separation there. A few years ago, I was hiking in Tucson around Sabino Canyon, and I turned the corner, and I see a pack, not one, but eight javelina. Of course, they didn't see me, but uh, I just carefully turned the opposite direction and didn't make any noise because <laughs> the— you don't want to mess with them. They're very blind. They're hard to see, and you walk upon them and startle them, and their instincts, or their, their, instincts, their instinct yeah. is fight or flight, and mm-hmm. they can do both just depending on how many cubs are around, how close you are. I've never been in a situation where they wanted to fight, but more than once out in the desert walking through a wash, I'll I'll jump a, a herd and then I just stand there till I hear running cease and then <laughs> mosey the other way. <laughs> Nothing worse than a uh, animal mama yeah. trying to protect oh. her babies. They will and bears bears with it. If you ever see a bear cub by itself, don't go up to it because mama bear is close by and she'll take care of business. Let's put it that way. <clears throat> Have you? run across the territorial news publication by chance you told me about that a few months ago it's and, pretty neat yeah it's a bi-weekly publication and it's they stated as your connection to the old west it always has something featured in arizona uh, but it does cover the entire southwest uh, it's published somewhere out of apache junction and i found it when we were in florence about a it was either last year or two years ago. Was it a rodeo you were? We were at a rodeo, and it was in the lobby of the hotel we were staying at. And I grabbed it and thought, you know what? This is a really fun read. And I started subscribing to it. And they usually have about four or five featured stories. It's about a 15-page pamphlet, uh, all black and white. They have some trivia that they put in there. They featured the ba- Battle of Picacho Peak. <clears throat> but there was a really interesting story on page 13 about Pantano Station, Arizona. Have you ever heard of that? Was that a railroad stop? You know, I, it feels like reading this story. Mm-hmm. This is where they got the plot line for Butch Cassidy, where they robbed the train oh, going both ways. Yeah. I, you know, it's a station. It's uh, number 20. And on April 27th of 1887, it failed to show up in Tucson. They found it disabled... Uh, near what's today the the Davis Air Force Base. Robbers had obstructed the track, stopped the locomotive with a hail of lead around 10 p.m. Engineer Bill Harper was marched to the back of the Wells Fargo Express car and forced to persuade messenger Charles F. Smith to open up or be blown to bits by black powder. What's the guy's name and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? I'm... J.P. Myrtle and I work for, you know, he, he repeats that like six or seven yeah, times before yeah. he takes cover. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> Smith complied with the robbers, emptied the safe of about 30000 and was able to save 5000 by stuffing it in the potbelly stove. Fast forward to August 10th, the same train was hit about a mile east of the site where it was hit earlier. <laughs> <laughs> this time, the engineer did not stop in time. The locomotive hit the obstruction turned over. Several people were injured, but no one was killed. The express car was robbed under, get this, <laughs> Charles F. Smith was again the messenger on duty. <laughs> and one of the bandits informed him the stove racket would not work a second time. 
After loading up their horses, the robbers rode off toward the Rincon Mountains. Posse searched for week, but they were never found. Wow. Nor was the loot. Does that not feel like part of the storyline? Yeah. In- <laughs> uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. <laughs> Some good news for veterans. There's uh, the Chandler Museum is opening up the National uh, World War II, a display by the National World War II Museum that's out of New Orleans. Now, I have not been to that museum. I have passed by it a zillion times, and I've yet to go, but the one thing that fascinates me is to see the Higgins boat, which uh, is the boat that was used during D-Day, and it was built in In New New Orleans. Orleans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's even footage of them testing it in Lake Pontchartrain before uh, they brought it out there, out to France. So that National World War II Museum, and my brother-in-law, who's a a Marine veteran, has been and says it's, it's phenomenal. He spent... Uh, two days there and he said i i could have spent two months in there that's what i hear too from everyone they're bringing an exhibit to chandler museum and it's open tuesdays through saturdays um from one to five and admission is free uh the facility is closed monday it's at 300 south chandler village drive near chandler fashion square so if you can't make it to new orleans to see it uh, the, the World War II Museum, get get bits and pieces of it right here in Arizona. Yeah, yeah, and it's free, too. And uh, some more news on, for veterans coming to Casa Grande. The Ed Hooper Rodeo Park is having a veterans dis- memorial built, and they're doing groundbreaking. That's easy They're doing you. the groundbreaking. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> on Veterans Day, November 11th. The memorial has a circular design with individual panels for each branch of the armed services. Each one of those branches, whether it's Navy, Army, Marines, it'll have the names of all the all the soldiers from Pinal County oh, nice. that served in those branches and, oh. and, and didn't make it home mm-hmm. or fell. So that uh, is coming to the Ed Hooper Rodeo Park in Casa Grande. That would be great. nice. Veterans Day, I should say, is in November. And we're going to have a really uh, a really good radio broadcast ahead of Veterans Day with American Warrior Radio. Oh, host. yes, yes. You want to you definitely want to tune in for that. If, if you're Very a veteran, you host. need to and you haven't found American Warrior Radio, uh, stay tuned. We'll introduce you. And it's too early to talk about food, but when you're up at 3:30, 4 o'clock, you're already ready for lunch at, <laughs> at 7:40 in the morning. Well, for me, I could talk about food 24/7. <laughs> Wallet Hub came out with the 2019 best food cities in America, mm-hmm. and Arizona has nine of those on that list. Wow, really? Out of uh, I think uh, out of 500, I think. But uh, Scottsdale came in at number 32. Okay. What's your favorite place in Scottsdale? Well, uh, when you talk about breakfast, uh, I'll hit Old Town really hard on Sunday mornings. Is Wild Fish still there? Uh, that would be, I think it was in North Scottsdale. I'm no, it was, it was in Fashion Square. Southside. You no, could go in no. there and get a dozen oysters for six bucks. On That's the why show. they're not there anymore. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> that that would have been my pick. Tucson, uh, uh, you know, you've got a lot of great choices in tucson well and even some of those old grill houses and some of the uh, steak houses el charles and uh hotel congress has a great steak mm, uh, oh. and then a great patio right right in downtown tempe mesa phoenix came in at 52 then chandler gilbert glendale and last on the list at 137 peoria Oh, hey. And I would not have picked Peoria, but you know what Peoria has now? What do, what do they have? They've got the Dillon's Barbecue on the Lake Pleasant Harbor. I bet that's what put them on the map. Uh, okay. 
<laughs> go get your barbecue, sit right on the lake and watch the, the boats come in and out. Great place to have a Saturday afternoon cheeseburger. It's the Arizona Hour at Rosie on the House. Tuned up and rolling. It's the Rosie on the House Arizona Hour, driven by Sanderson Ford. Arizona ghost town Horshaw might just be revitalized in the near future. It's a town located in the mountains just south of Patagonia and was given what looks like to be a potential new life. In 2010, geologist Dan Taylor conducted a drilling program to explore suspected zinc, lead, and silver deposits. The exploration led to discovery of large deposits of all three minerals, earning Taylor Best Global Discovery, awarded at the Prospector and Developers Association of Canada Convention in 2018. In 2016, it was estimated that the deposit compromised 39.4 million tons of material. Think they'll leave that alone for long? I bet you we'll see new life back at Hershaw. Oh, fall. This is the time of year to get out to enjoy the great state of Arizona. And for years, the Rosie on the House Arizona staycation, thanks to our friends at Sanderson Ford, is the reason why we do it. We want to get you out to see places that you may have never been to or be reintroduced to. And this month, we sent a winner to Patagonia, Arizona for the weekend. And she is with us this morning. Evelyn, congratulations and good morning. Good morning to you. Well, let's start from the beginning. You had to go to Sanderson Ford and pick out your car. What did you pick? Well, he gave us a choice of three. And the funny thing is my husband said, oh, let's get a Mustang. <laughs> like, yeah, that sounds cool, but we can't get in and out of it. <laughs> oh. We need help. We need assistance. Oh. So we did have an SUV. So you took a nice drive down uh, State Highway 82 to Patagonia, and you stayed at the Duquesne house uh, with Rick and Becky. How was the accommodations? They were beautiful. Everything was beautiful, from the weather, from the design, to the people who owned it. Lovely. It didn't take us long to uh, go into town. Lovely art shows, craft that um, the community participates in. We bought a couple of pictures and prints and whatnot. Very nice. I think everything south of Tucson is totally underrated. Most folks need to go down. If you've lived in Arizona, need to go down because you have the White Mountains, you got Sedona, and you got the Grand Canyon. But south of Tucson, around Patagonia and that whole area, that country is gorgeous and green. Simply, simply beautiful. We did a little sightseeing as well. Um, we found a couple of roads that the wineries were on. Oh, now you're talking. Yeah, that was <laughs> went vineyard hopping. It was lovely, lovely people, very interesting of history, who owned it, how they owned it. Had a couple of tastes of the wine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also know you had some so treats. Lovely. I also know you had treats from Mountain Man Nut and Fruit Company. That gift basket kept you nice and uh, not so hungry, right? That was perfect. Kind of nibbled on that at night and had some wine and cheese and nuts. Simply lovely. We had another basket from um, Arizona Highway as well. Such a surprise. Never, ever, ever expected. It's one of those staycations. If you want to get away, this is the place to get away. It's a lovely drive. So lots of nature, deer, all kinds of wonderful things on the way there. Town people were lovely. Restaurants we ate at um, all the restaurants in town. Again, wonderful food. 
Well, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed your staycation to Patagonia. You sold me on it now. That's three people. I need to get down there and take a oh, look at indeed. it as well. Indeed. The garden was simply lovely. Just sitting out there meditating, it was calming. The Duquesne House lovely. Gardens, beautiful. They had some lovely books to read. There wasn't any TV in the room, which was awesome. That's the best part. <laughs> yeah. So Steve and I, we found a couple of books, and uh, we brought some of our speakers down and just listened to a lovely music all night, read some books, had some wine. Simply wonderful. Hated to leave, actually. Met some lovely people from where we live. Oh. Lovely breakfast. It was just simply wonderful. That... We were so lucky to have to have one there. Yeah, and that's what's nice about bed and breakfast uh, places. You get to meet people for the first time, find out their story, where they came from, and uh, it it makes it all worthwhile. Well, Evelyn, uh, congratulations. I'm glad you enjoyed your Arizona staycation from Rosie on the House in Sanderson Ford. Thank you so much. This was, by the way, we did have baby that just came. Yes. It was just delivered on Monday. (laughs) Great. Boy or a girl? A little baby boy. Yeah, life is life is wonderful. You'll have to take them down to Patagonia. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and you can register for the next vacation in time for the holidays in the Christmas city of Prescott. And the gift basket that we gave Evelyn for our staycation came from Mountain Man Nut and Fruit Company and the man behind it all, Jason Fine. Jason, good morning. Good morning. How are you, sir? Doing fine. So how did you get into the uh, nut and fruit company business? Actually, my wife is from Denver, Colorado, and as a child, she used to go to Mountain Man all the time, and she's very familiar with the product and with the company, so we decided to open a location in Arizona. We are the only retail location in the country outside of Colorado. How did you get the word out? I, I own an insurance agency, so one of the things that we were able to do is kind of co-market. You know, every time I would go to an appointment, I'd bring some product, and it just and it, and it sells itself. And Evelyn told us it was an easy sell for her and her husband because they went out and got a couple of bottles of wine, went back to the Duquesne house, and they had wine and your uh, nuts and fruit for the evening. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. That, that makes me happy that, that she enjoyed it so well. Well, we appreciate your participation with our staycation. Want to tell us uh, your website, phone number, how anyone in our audience can get a gift basket? Absolutely. They can go to ArizonaMountainMan.com. Spell out Arizona, or you can just put azmountainman.com. And the phone number is 623-777-5945. If anyone's interested, we we are creating our website to start to do delivery and shipping. Jason Fine, hey, thanks for participating in the Arizona Staycation with Rosie on the House. and uh, I appreciate it, and thank you, Rosie on the House, for letting us participate. And again, the next staycation giveaway is to Prescott.